All right, let's do this. Peanut, if you're staying in the room, no talking. Welcome to PhotoWork, the talky, touchy, feely version of Sasha Wolf's book, PhotoWork, 40 Photographers on Process and Practice. I am not Sasha Wolf. I am Michael Chovendalt and Sasha's producer. So you are probably wondering, where is Sasha? Well, at the time of this recording, Sasha is somewhere between Bearsville and New York City, where both her recording studios are. So I am flying solo, but only for the introduction. Fear not, Sasha will be the one having a wonderful conversation with our guest today, Mimi Plum. But before we get to today's guest, I want to mention that our next guest will be the fabulous Wendy Redstar who will also be the featured guest for the June Aperture Photo Book Club event on June 29th. If you're not familiar with Aperture's Photo Book Club, it's a virtual book club started by Executive Director Sarah Meister, who is also a former guest of the show. And I've linked to this event in the show notes, so be sure to check it out. So I really enjoyed listening to this week's conversation with Mimi Plum. Mimi's been working since the 1970s, but it's only in the past four years that her books have been published and many more people have come to know her work. And that is really at the heart of this discussion is how do you look at work that is 30, 40 years removed from when it was made, bring in someone to organize it in perhaps a way you were not thinking about, and yet keep it meaningful to you as the artist and to a new audience. And that's really a a fascinating conversation that Sasha and Mimi will have. So on that note, it is my pleasure to bring you this conversation between Sasha Wolf and Mimi Plum. Mimi Plum, welcome to the PhotoWork podcast. Thanks for doing this with me. Hi, Sasha. Good to talk to you. Um, You and I met a number of years ago. Not sure how many because I'm like everyone else. I've I'm lost in pandemic time, but probably four years ago, five years ago, we met at the Berkeley Art Museum at a great exhibition, and I went up to you to tell you that I loved your work, and it's been really fun. Well, it's the understatement. I I knowing I was going to be talking with you today meant that as part of my job, I got to sit around for many days and just look through your book. So that's been just such a joy, a gift. I've really loved being able to do that kind of deep dive um, into these pictures that I really love. So thank you. And um, thank you. as we start every podcast, if you don't mind, and take the time you want. Just tell people where you're from and how you got into photography and what your photographic journey has been. Well, I'm a Californian, true and true. So I've lived here all my life. I was born in Berkeley. And then for whatever reasons, I I still can't quite fathom why my parents moved out to the suburbs, which is about 10 miles east here of Berkeley, uh, to a little tiny suburban enclave called Walnut Creek. Now it's quite large, as a lot of the suburbs are, particularly in the San Francisco Bay Area. So I grew up in suburbia. My family, though, my mother in particular, was very progressive. I had older brothers who were very progressive. So they centered their life 
My mom did around politics, and that was the discussion at the dinner table. So, And what years was... So this is like year? 19... I was born in 1953, and, you know, I, my, my best memories come from about 10 years later, uh, which yeah. my book Landfall references. But really what I remember more is my teenage years, and lots of talk about, again, what was happening, civil rights movement... The hippies, the, the counterculture was going full steam. This is like mid to late 60s. Mm -hmm. And I was stuck in suburbia is how I, you know, perceived my situation. I was too young to be involved, you know, like marching and all of that, although maybe I was taken to a march or two. I, I actually don't remember that, though. But my brothers would come home with tales about what was going on in their lives and what they were experiencing as they were attending UC Berkeley. Anyway... I didn't drop out of school because I got my high school diploma, but I, I didn't have any interest in getting an academic education. And I was taking a lot of poetry classes, and I was really kind of bad at it. It was torturous to write. <laughs> I still feel that way. I still, I still, whenever I have to stand and write something, it's just like, I'm like, ugh, I don't really want to be doing this. But I, I forced myself at times to do that. But anyway, I picked up the camera maybe my junior year. And was like, oh, my God, this is so much fun. And, wow, finally I have a way to express myself. So that began my deep involvement and love affair with making pictures. So I felt like I could speak about how I saw the world and what was important to me. So I think that's my origin story. Were you aware at that time well, there's more because I want to hear about where you did wind up going to school because you went to school with some pretty interesting people and I know you had some important right. professors. But let me just interject and ask you, were you aware at that time of what you just said that, wow, this is a, a real way of expressing myself or were you just thinking this is fun? Do you, do you remember? Yeah, I do remember. I felt like this was a real way to express myself. I. Yeah. I often felt, you know, words were always challenging for me. So here mm -hmm. I am, you know, on this podcast, possibly talking away. But I, <laughs> I, and particularly having three older brothers, and it was competitive, and I felt silenced a lot. So the mm -hmm. photography allowed me to really just explore what was interesting to me and what was important. And, you know, it was like taking notes about what what I cared about. And I was very passionate, you know, and, and the politics, I think that that came really did, you know, the origin of that is from my family is really important to me, what's going on in the world. And I, I wanted to, I wanted to express that. So photography gave so, me the means to do that. So I think I was serious from day one, honestly, right, but I also found the process amazing. fun. And that was the difference between that and writing poetry. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I had a creative I, outlet I, that let me look at the world around me. So you find this thing, and I can relate. I started making pictures in, in high school and was a terrible student. And so I spent all my time in the darkroom. It was my way of, of getting through high school um, as well. And then I went to, to art school also. So I, I, I really relate with what you're saying. So, so tell me, you, this happens to you and is this revelation, and you're not interested in academics. So where where do you wind up going to school? So when I graduated from high school, I was I had the uh, opportunity to go to Europe for a period of time. And I came back and my parents had divorced. So there wasn't really a home to go back to. 
mm-hmm. in Walnut Creek. And not that I really wanted to, but there mm-hmm. also wasn't that opportunity. So um, I immediately moved to Berkeley with a friend of mine. She was a an aspiring jazz musician, and we rented a little place here in Berkeley. I knew at that point in time, I think it was mainly from a friend of my mom's. Uh, he was he had gone to the Art Institute, and he highly recommended it, the San Francisco Art Institute. And I was like, yeah, I'm going to go there. That's where I'm going to go. So I applied and got in, and... Yeah, I moved to the city, to San Francisco, and, you know, spent four years doing undergraduate work there. Shall I go on? (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) The projects that I started doing. So, yeah, I started working immediately with John Collier. I had some other teachers, but John Collier, he, John Collier Jr. uh, was a protege of Dorothea Lange. And, you know, the way that he saw the world and and the way that he used photography was really interesting to me, slightly different than what I wanted to do. I mean, I think I had more fun than John. John's kind of a visual anthropologist. You know, there's a little bit more study involved in terms of what he did, what he did and what he believed in doing. But he was a great supporter of mine. And one of the things that, you know, going to the Art Institute, there were hundreds of hundreds of other kids going to the Art Institute then. It was affordable. It was like $250 mm-hmm. a semester, something like that. This is the early 1970s. And all these guys coming back from the Vietnam War, too, had gotten the GI Bill. They could, they could go there. So it was, just a, it was just a really exciting place to be. But there were people, there were definitely, you know, a lot of other students or a lot of the students, I shouldn't say a lot, but there was a percentage of students who weren't very serious. They were just like an art school having fun. But Mm -hmm. I was, I was always kind of different than that. I was always quite serious about it. So again, when, well, what I had started to say a minute ago is that your one, one story where we came from, that was always prime for investigating visually. So coming from suburbia, I started photographing you know, some places in Walnut Creek, and I would just do this periodically. I got to Walnut Creek and wander around and and take pictures. And then I started including other Bay Area communities. And that work has become, was published last year by Stanley Barker, or maybe in 2020, I should say. So that's two years ago, called The White Sky. So that work was done while I was, pretty much while I was a student. I mean, it continued. I did that from 1972 to 78. But during that time, too, I was also photographing a lot of other things. I've, I had a number of projects going. And another one that's, that is at least prominently on my website is the farm workers. My brother was involved with a woman who was living in La Paz, which was the UFW headquarters outside of Bakersfield. And he invited me to go along with him to visit Maria down there at the headquarters. And I went, and they needed a they needed somebody to work in the dark room. I think their photographer had quit. So I did a little bit of that. I'd come down on weekends, and I'd help them out in the dark room because they had a newspaper going. It was pretty, pretty exciting. I was in a little tiny community, which, you know, Cesar Chavez was walking around with his dogs and his family mm-hmm. and his wife, and there were community dinners. And it was culturally so different than anything I'd been exposed to, and it was really exciting. But I still was a student at the Art Institute, but during that time, I just developed a real interest in knowing, I wanted to know more about the farm workers themselves. They weren't represented in La Paz, which is where I was going to uh, help them print their images. So I started branching out, particularly with a young journalist named Bob Barber. And I started photographing the various field offices in California. And I spent like a year and a half doing this. And during that time, I feel like I have to talk fast. 
<laughs> Maybe because I, I have why. such a lengthy, I have such a lengthy history. It's like you know, I, I try to go through it quickly. Um, but anyway, I began photographing with with Bob. Bob and I would go to the various field offices, but particularly I spent time in Salinas, and this is again 1974-75. I was still in school, but you know, John particularly, he was my main the main person I was taking classes with at the Art Institute, you know, he was like, you know, go for it. He he encouraged me to spend all of my time outside of class if that's what I wanted to do. And that's kind of what I did for, again, for about a year and a half. So I photographed the farm workers as they were working to get elections in the fields on the ballot in California. That ballot passed so that they were legally entitled to vote for the union of their choice. And then there was a lot of organizing around that. And that's mostly what I photographed in, in that group of images. So those are two of the main projects that I did when I was an undergraduate at the Art Institute. I graduated in 76. Did you go to grad school? Well, I did, but not for another you 10 did. years. Yeah, I went 10 years yeah. later. So so um, I, we haven't gotten there yet, Sasha. <laughs> okay. <laughs> well, we don't have to stay in chronological orders. I want to get through your background. So where did you go to grad school? I mean, I know the answer to this. Well, let me just telling the audience. I went to the San Francisco Art Institute for grad school, and that was like 1984 that I applied. Mm -hmm. But I am going to give you some history in between when I graduated and then when I went to art school. When I graduated, I got a job selling encyclopedias for a day. Okay. You know, <laughs> that's what you could do with an art degree. And I'm, I'm making a little bit yeah. of a joke there, but we all know it's difficult to uh, find gainful employment when you have an art degree. So... I learned how to type, and I got a job at the Department of Housing in Sacramento. I was married at that time. I had met somebody at the Art Institute, and we got married. So in Sacramento, I worked as a secretary for a couple of months, and I proposed to the executive director that he hire me as a photographer. So I did that for three years. I was photographing farmworker housing and Native American housing and presenting this work to the legislature, hoping to get more money for the housing project that projects mm -hmm. that the department was doing. And the reason why this is important before grad school is that I found that work really important, but I also found that it didn't it didn't really change people's lives in the way that I thought needed to be changed in order to, you know, make a real difference. And mm -hmm. it kind of you know, it demoralized me to an extent or maybe radicalized me is what I'd like to say, where I just felt like more urgent change needed to happen. So that's always, you know, all that, uh, what's going on politically always has affected the kind of work that I make. I moved back to San Francisco in 1980, and I was doing collage posters, posting, wheat pasting them around San Francisco, like the punk posters of the day that were advertising music. We were advertising political stuff. And about 1983, I realized I really wanted to make pictures again. I didn't think my collages were particularly interesting. So I applied to art school. So now we're up to when I went to art school. And and went how back. was that experience? How was grad school? I loved being back in school. I could be in school all the time because, yeah. you know, you're meeting with a community of like-minded people. You know, again, not everybody's serious. Even in grad school, you get about half the people who are really serious and half who you aren't quite sure why they're there. Yeah, there was really a good group of people when I was there. Doug Dubois was, came, I think, a year later than me. Mark Alice Durant was there. A number of the women who were there, I can't, I have to say, I'm not, 
I'm not sure of ones that I could name who are still practicing photography. Mm-hmm. But anyway, it was a it was a pretty exciting time then. And I was working with Larry Sultan. He was the main photography uh, graduate teacher at that time. So I worked with him for two years. And yep. during that time, I just developed the project that became, you know, what the next two books, Landfall and The Golden City. So that work was done from about 84 to... Yep, 84 to 1990. And there's still more so, of that work that hasn't been published, but, you know, that's another story. So, well, yeah. Uh-uh. <laughs> I make a lot of images. That's that's the way all I work. And pu- Publishers all over listening to this podcast, <laughs> their ears just pricked up. Um, all right. So let's, let's talk about the work. You have three books. Am I missing any? The White Sky, Landfall, The Golden City, although they were published, Landfall, the White Sky, then the Golden City. Correct. Right? Yeah, well, that is yeah. the order. They're sort of a trilogy. They're they're, or maybe you think of them entirely as a trilogy, but they're they weren't published by the same. Did did Stanley Barker do um, the White Sky? Yes. yes. Yeah. So they did too. And in between, you had a, Landfall was done by TBW. And actually, I started out with TBW Books, which made it possible to do the other books essentially after Landfall. Right. Came of out. course. Right. So. <laughs> right. Right. Yeah. But they're more or less the same sort of, they feel like they, they're nice together on the bookshelf. Yeah, I f- they so, feel like a trilogy to me. But I, yeah. But they aren't exactly, but they, they feel that way. But they're not about curatorial text or... No. Um, <laughs> I'm sorry to laugh. You know, yeah. They're Never of interest they're, to me. They're very straightforward. The printing is really beautiful. It's all black and white. What camera were you using? Well, in the 70s, I was using a Leica... 35 millimeter, and I did switch. I wanted to get more uh, negative quality. So I switched to using the Plabel Makina in the 1980s, and I still am using that camera. What um, format is that? So the Plabel is the same as the Mamiya 7. It's 6.7. Ah, okay. So medium format, seven. just slightly wider yeah. than, than two and a quarter. Yeah, it's a great camera. I mean, I usually don't geek out about this stuff, but if you look at Mimi's work... You know, other than aspect ratios, so so many of the uh, images look like they could be, you know, four or five. I think the Plabel enables that. I mean, the Mamiya yeah, Seven. I mean, I don't really think gorgeous. Compares. Yeah, no, I agree. They feel like large format. They're yeah. just absolutely spectacular. It gives me that sort of tingly feeling of mm-hmm. oh my god, like oh, so beautiful. So, I guess the thing that's sort of most preoccupying to me as I was really spending all this time with the work and thinking about you making the work and is the the really large gap of time between when all this work was made and when these books were published. So the work was made in the 70s and 80s and the books were published all in the past, what, seven years? Mm, since 2018, so shorter so time gosh, frame than that. Four years, yep. yeah. Past four years. So... We should talk about what the books are about, and I'm going to let you do that. But, you know, what's preoccupying to me is is just that there is a lot of narrative in the books, and they really feel like they are about something, and they really feel very autobiographical. Mm-hmm. And I'm just really fascinated by the process of making work like that and the process of actually sequencing it and presenting it to the world decades later 
and how these things come together hmm. and how different or not these projects might have been if they'd been made into books when the work was made. So how much nostalgia or time or your own personal changes or growth changes the way the work is presented to the world decades after it's made or not at all. Anyway, so that's the big overriding preoccupation for me. Lots of but questions can you tell in there. The, I know. Can you, <laughs> can you tell the audience about these three books you know, and basically give them an outline of what they're more or less about. Mm, it's always, you know, it's always hard for me to give a concise answer to that. Except, no, I mean, I, yeah, I, I would well, say, I would say, the White Sky might be easiest because I just talk about that as my childhood memoir. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's, it's certainly about more things than, than that, but it is. I mean, I was just exploring the suburbia and maybe the alienation that I felt growing up there. Um, but it does touch on climate climate change. We had a big drought in California in the 70s, so it touches on that also. But I just wanted to get at what it felt like to to live there. But I also, in my 80s work, which is Landfall and the Golden City, really what I wanted to get at with that, too, is what does it feel like to live in, the, in this present moment in history? And mm -hmm. so I was one of the things that I had great fear about is not only about nuclear war, which I think Landfall addresses that. My mother, I'll, I'll just start there for a second. My mother told me this is a true story that there might be nuclear war. Uh, this is 1963 during the Cuban Missile Crisis. And I think that really shaped me. It, mm -hmm. it terrified me. And I got insomnia for about almost a year. And, you know, we just worry at night. I was anxious. But in the 80s, I mean, I wasn't thinking about that so much when I you know, it was always a backdrop to anything that I might have done. But in the 80s, I was thinking a lot about climate change because that had really come to the fore. And I was thinking about capitalism and that's the system of, of cap, you know, how, how, how you create capital. And it seemed to me that capitalism's short-term dependence on, on profit made addressing things like climate change, poverty, all those things kind of nearly impossible. And I, I actually had that in the back of my mind. It might have even been in the, you know, it was also in the forefront of my mind. How do I speak about this without being didactic? And how do I get at those things? Because I was trying to get at how, how living with that take on things, what that felt like. You know, like worry about what might happen with the climate. How do I photograph that? Particularly because, you know, a lot of it hadn't really happened at that point in time, but you could see the seeds of it in terms of how, how we were connecting to the environment and our impact on it. But also... Well, let's deal with landfall. How do you show that in landfall? I mean, these, first of all, these pictures are black and white. I don't know if right. you said that. I didn't. I didn't, no. But they are black so and white. How, so how do you show that? Well, I wanted... I mean, I lived in San Francisco. I was still married at that point in time. We didn't have a lot of money. But... You know, in San Francisco, what I saw in, in various areas was our impact again on the environment, what that looked like, and I was able to photograph that. So that was one thing. I started out in the landscape when I started doing those projects. You know, I just explore the edges of the city, and, you know, there's Tyre Beach. I should be more specific so that I don't, if I talk ab abstractly, it's kind of a quagmire for me. But there was... um. Tyre Beach in San Francisco, which is along the bay, about a mile from where I lived. And that was a sewer outlet filled with 
hundreds, thousands of tires, lots of ban- abandoned cars. You know, it was it was a part of the city that that that's where you know your trash went to that didn't end up going to the dump. I mean, the trash should have been well, going you, to the dump. You have a great. I'm going to interrupt you just to yeah. give people. You have a great photograph of a bunch of boys playing on. Tires. A mound of tires. And it's so great because there's no sky, I don't think, in the picture. Yeah. I think it's just tires and these boys. And it's like the world's most bizarre <laughs> playground. And that actually isn't from Tire Beach. But <laughs> but it's another Tire And that was Beach. done in the 70s. So, you know, these interests were always there. <laughs> yeah. And it's just my sensibility. I mean, that's that's maybe, you know, the most insight I can give to it. But, you know, there's certain things that I've always looked for and, and found interesting to photograph. You'll sort of sequence a very minimalist, sort of really spectacularly arresting, very minimalist landscape of almost nothing with a picture of someone from behind looking right. over a ridge. We don't know what they're looking at. Then we get another sort of off-kilter landscape that's a little foreboding. Then we get a bunch of friends, and we're not sure what they're doing. I mean, <laughs> I'm just trying to give people you know, a sense of this sort of really narrative, but extremely opaque mm-hmm. and complex narrative that we have to really work at, but it's great. It's fun. It's engaging. The pictures are so formal that you're just sucked in like a vacuum sucking you in. Which is something I always wanted to do. So thank you. I appreciate that. <laughs> um, yeah, that the formality of your pictures is so arresting. And then you just get you're like locked in and you're happy to stay there and try and figure out what's going on. So you have this really unique ability to play with narrative, pull us into narrative, and then push us out of it, and then pull us back in towards it. That's that pictures that look sometimes they feel a little bit like, oh, that this, this could be a Friedlander or Winogrand, no way, or this could be a Bob a- Robert Adams, no way, or like there's these hints of things where that we recognize and are familiar in our photographic language, but then you. You just sort of alter things a little. You just tweak something, and it just is a Mimi plum. Well, nice to hear. That's good to hear. Um, you may continue. Well, I was going to say I, I am in my own lane, I would say, in regards to yeah, the work I that agree. I do. Which is really sweet. It's really sweet to see that at this time in my life. And it has to do with the publishing of the work. Well, actually, I think I always knew that, but I don't want to go off on that too much. Um, no, but let's I talk think, about think, that. Well, actually, let me just... I, one thing I wanted yeah. to say from what you, you what you were talking about is that as I was making pictures in the 80s, and it's still even the case now, it's always when I make pictures, I feel like I'm on a fishing expedition. I don't mm-hmm. know exactly what I'm going to encounter. I have these things in my mind. Right. I was trying to give you an idea of kind of where I was psychologically, what I was thinking right. about feeling. But I go out and I just, I just make pictures. Mm-hmm. And that's the most interesting thing because then it's sort of this dialogue that I'm having with myself. And with the people around me who are, you know, looking at the pictures along with me. Mm-hmm. But I'd say with the 80s work, because I started out in the landscape, it was basically a landscape project. And I realized the images were not, quote, hot enough. They didn't, they weren't intense enough. And that's when I started mm-hmm. adding people. And that was really important step that I took. 
But then combining the people with the landscape images was a bear. It was a bear in the 80s. It was like nearly impossible. It's like, I, yeah. I, I understand. I understood. And I think that people who knew me understood that there was an organic hole to all of this. But how you'd put that all together was really difficult. I had to show yes, a camera sure. work because I did get the Phelan Award, which was an important award for me back in like 86. And we did a show and it was like not satisfying to me because it didn't get at everything. I mean, I just felt like I, there's all these, all these parts that need to come together. And I think that's what the book enabled is being able to pull all these pieces together. I made a ton of, before Landfall is published, which again was the first book, I made about 10 blurb books which mm-hmm. were not terribly successful. I think I think one of them was fairly close to what Landfall turned out to be. But I'm I'm very literal. You can hear it as I'm talking. It's like, you know, mm-hmm. I think this and I think this and I think this, which doesn't get at kind of the playfulness of how I shoot and mm-hmm. how the work functions visually. And so when I started working, well, what happened is that Paul at TBW Books, saw some of my work. He was interested. You know, he ended up on my website. And a couple of years later, he contacted me. After we met, he contacted me and said, let's do a book. That was like 2016 or so. But they had a hell of a time. Paul worked with Lester Rosso at that time. Paul Sheik was working with Lester. It was the two of them doing TBW Books. And mm-hmm. there was a certain point in time, which I found out from them, which I had nighttime paranoia about this that they were giving up on it they just did not know how to how to edit it how to put it together and wow lester lester took it home for a couple of weeks and in that process he combined it with the writing that i had done the thing about my mother the little story about my mother telling me that there might be nuclear war and how Mm -hmm. that affected me and then the images flowed out of that and he just he came up with a sequence that they sent to me and i was like this is good you know, I was like mm-hmm. chilled. I, I looked at the sequence and I was like, I think that this this is good. So I wrote them back and I said, you know, this is this is good. And, you know, really good. And I said, I, I think this is it. Of course, then they did, then decided to really tweak it a whole lot more. They sent me another edit and was like, oh, my God, that's not good. <laughs> so we went back to the first edit. And, of course, there were things that, you know, I made. There were definite changes that I had. There were differences of opinion. We were both... All of us were very opinionated. It took a while to actually put the book together after that point in time. But after that point in time, it was like, okay, we're on to something. We can make this mm-hmm. happen. So then there was a lot of stuff about the cover and, you know, the back cover and things like that. And pictures I wanted in there, pictures I wanted out, some things I won, some things I didn't. But it really was a collaboration. Let me just say that. And it did really well. I mean, Landfall was a really big success in the in our little yeah. pond of the fine art photo book world, right? Yeah, when we got the book back, you know, they called me, Paul and Lester called me, it's like, oh, the book arrived, you know, that's the first book, there's just like one book that comes from the printers, yeah, you know, however that works. So so I went over to look at it, and it was just like, oh my God, this is, this is good. <laughs> but I didn't know how it would fall, how it would land in the world, and they didn't know either. I mean, we went, it actually soon after Paris Photo happened, and they were able to get 50 copies to Paris Photo, and, you know, Paul has his people that he knows, and he started getting it out to them. And I saw Mark's, I, I went to Mark Steinmetz's uh, book signing, and I was like, well, if you have a chance, Mark, I have, this, I have this book over at TBW. So he went over, and I saw him carrying around Landfall, and I was like, oh, thrilled. 
Yeah, anyway, that's it a just good started getting out. carrying it around. Yeah, yeah. I was like, wow, he actually he actually got the book. I'm sure Paul probably gave it to him, but you know, <laughs> it was just really exciting. So yeah, yeah and it, and that's I think it was important that it that it was seen at Paris. Michael Mack saw it. That's yeah. that's why he came out with it being his favorite book. But it got some ex- you know early initial exposure, so I wasn't completely lost. And, uh, and, you know, in the shuffle, which easily happens with bookmaking. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it was so different than, than anything any anybody had out there. So that was, you know, which I no longer have that <laughs> that cachet. But, you know, it lasts for a while. Well, it's, it's still, you know, has pride of place at, at my house. So then tell me about the, just the sequence then of doing the next two books. I decided I wanted to get... And I still feel this way. I have a lot of work. And so Stanley Barker contacted me. They were ready to do a book immediately. Just some things with, you know, with my relationship with TBW, I just thought it was better for me to do a book with Stanley Barker. And then going Mm -hmm. back, you can't really go back and forth easily between publishers. So I decided to work with Stanley Barker on my suburbia pictures. And, you know, they're, they're really quick. We were able to do that book relatively quickly. Gregory did a lot most of the editing on that but again i have a you know i have a lot of say over you yeah. know what works what doesn't work i still could so see another another book of that work but anyway so yeah so that's how that yeah, came about so let's go back to the bigger question of what it's like to be working with material that's so autobiographical so many years after you've made the work and you know, how much of what you're making now, the book, feels like what you were thinking about then and how much is informed by not just hindsight, but also where we are as a country now? Well, the reason why the book has done well, why it, why it has had an impact, I think, ultimately, is because, unfortunately, and I do say unfortunately, the work is still ultra-relevant. Mm-hmm. So... That's the process yeah. is that this isn't yeah, I agree. this isn't past yeah. anymore, you know, it's present. And so it's surreal in that way, but it doesn't feel like what those pictures are about are any less relevant today than they were. No, no, it's true. Were. I mean it really could be today, except yeah, they could for, be. you know, yeah. some some things that date right you know people and whatnot. Right. But so as far as a career goes, you know, you've been someone very respected in the community for a very long time, but obviously coming out with all these books that are really beloved over the past few years, four years, as we've said, has, it seems to me, must, you know, sort of be quite thrilling. You have at least one gallery, if not more, and I'm sure you're selling prints. So what's it like to sort of all of a sudden have this presence and this bigger career i'm putting career in air quotes but yeah in the art world at this point in your life i'd say there's two things one is that i didn't expect it necessarily mm-hmm. but i also thought that my work was important and i've always thought my work was important so you know to a certain extent you know it feels like it's just right yeah it was time great. for it to be seen and mm-hmm. um i'm glad that that people do connect with it. That's something that's incredibly touching to me. 
now. Let me just make something clear, and then I want you to okay. go on to, okay. to people. That in the 70s and 80s, there was no, wasn't a photo book craze like there is now. It was very difficult to get a book made. Only right. the most famous people were getting right. books made. And there was almost no f- market for photographic prints, unless you were Ansel Adams. So, you know, you just sort of got caught betwixt and between. Anyway, please, please well, I was going to say even Larry, I mean, I was working with Larry Sultan, but that's before he became a big name. Actually, this is like right. 84 to 86. Yeah. And Larry hadn't published any books then. You know, I think Larry f- published his first book sometime in the 90s, maybe early 90s. Mm-hmm. But even so, like in 86, when I, when I left grad school, Larry, Larry was a long ways from getting his book out there. But always for us, it's like, you know, you do a monograph when you've been photographing for 30 years. That's kind of, that was kind mm-hmm. of the trajectory in terms of making a book. Right. But more than that, I do think that the work, I mean, particularly the 80s work, it was really, a, as I said, it's, it was a bear to edit. And mm-hmm. like, what do I do with this work? I don't know. I don't know how to get it out there. Plus, I think it was maybe a little early. It's not that people, there were people who definitely noticed the work then, you know, and thought it was important. But it's also like, you know, let's not go there. <laughs> <laughs> let's mm-hmm. let's hope that that's not where we're, where we're heading to. And I also felt mm-hmm. that too. It's not like I didn't believe that that's where we're heading, but you know, I was certainly open to other other things happening, like somehow a certain sanity happening in in our political system that would keep these things from becoming as problematic as they are. And, I'm and talking, you're always shooting. Yeah, it's not like you've also were sitting around just waiting for your moment. No, I mean, after I actually, I stopped doing the work in 1990. And I really, there was a stop to it because I just, you know, I I didn't want to live in this world where this is what I was talking about all the time. Right, you stopped with that work, but you're always, you're always making pictures. Well, what I wanted to do is challenge myself. And I, you know, consciously thought this, I wanted to challenge myself to photograph something that that I embraced, that I thought... Mm -hmm was worth preserving, because I hadn't photographed from that particular point of view. Mm -hmm. Even though I think that there's a great deal of love, even in my earlier work. Mm -hmm. You know, that's that's part of why visually, the images I hope are striking, and luscious, and all that stuff. But it was a challenge for me to photograph something that, that I loved. And so I went on to do that. And it was hard. It was hard making that work. It wasn't really appreciated within the art world. I wasn't trying to get it out into the art world because you know, the art world's a funny place. It's like I'd rather ignore it to a large mm-hmm. extent if I can. You're not alone. Yeah, <laughs> I know. So it doesn't help necessarily in terms of making work to be too too engaged with the art world or to have too much attention no. from the art world, actually. No, I agree. So, yeah, so I made work in the 90s. I made work... You know, there were periods of time where I go a couple of years where I wasn't deeply involved in making pictures. So anyway, the work that I made in the 90s into the 2000s, I think will become a book soon. Very different work. It'll be shocking to people, mm-hmm. kind of surprising. And then mm-hmm. I work that you've seen, I photograph women and girls for a long time, and that work is really difficult to know what to do with. And I don't know if I'll ever figure out how or what I can do with that work. And then I've gone on unfortunately to i'd say i use the word unfortunate in regards to some of the stuff but truly it, i'd rather these problems not exist but i've gone i because of what's going on in california and the mega drought i just felt compelled to start photographing again um what's going on with the drought in, in california so 
climate change yeah. in California is what I'm looking at. Yeah. Because yeah. it's just it's sort of demanded that I stop looking again, the current situation. Yeah. So, um, you know, I felt I it really deep in my bones. That Every I'm, time you try and get out, they pull you back in. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so that's what I'm doing right now. And that's when I got the Guggenheim, it had to do with that work that I'm making. So I just started seriously working on that project last year and maybe somewhat from the year before. But it really started to come together last year. And now there's just a lot more work to be made. Well, that sounds <laughs> sort of perfect. I mean, I, I like that you somehow, I mean, even if you have mixed feelings about it, for those of us who are huge fans of this work that we've been talking about and are deeply appreciative of these books that you've that you've put out that let us engage with the country at a certain time and particularly a certain place, a certain very specific part of the country, this sort of very hot, dry, confused, slightly menacing Northern California, Northeastern California, you know, of the 70s and, and 80s. And that is such an incredible, so pinpoints where we were at that time Mm -hmm. with the destruction of the environment and the dying of the planet and the the crying the weeping really of of the planet which you see in so many of your pictures this sort of sadness and also these wonderful pictures of how people just live their lives within this I think I'm um, doing that same thing now <laughs> Well, you know, we need this work. And so, you know, I'm glad that you're back to, to it because <sighs> nothing's changed. It's a continuing story. I don't know when it started. I'm not a historian, so right. I can't pinpoint the year. But obviously, you know, I mean, I'm of the age where I remember being terrified of, you know, Three Mile Island and there was there Chernobyl and, right. you know, in the 80s and and not being able to sleep. And, you know, so a lot of what you have photographed it really resonates with me. And I think it will really resonate with so many different generations, this sort of ongoing story of how we try and continue to live in this place. But it's, you know, a very complicated and at times deeply discouraging story but right. um right. but you present us this story you know in the form of these really magnificent um pictures that give us a chance to uh to engage so let's end on that note Mimi thank you so much for spending time with me today I really appreciate talking with you well thank you Sasha it's been a pleasure and I, I wish you well and good health and hopefully I'll see you one of these days. And in the meantime, I, I treasure my books. So well, my Mimi Plum books. So thank you. Well, thank you. Very touching okay. to hear that. All right. Take care, Mimi. Okay. Bye-bye, Sasha. Bye. Photo Work with Sasha Wolf is produced by me, Michael Chauvin Dalton of Real Photo Show. The associate producer is Taylor Selsback, and the executive producer is Sasha Wolf. Our theme music is by J. Walter Hawks. If you like the show, be sure to subscribe and rate us with all the stars available on your listening platform. 